Hey, welcome to Access. John here. On June 22nd at 6 p.m., we'll be hosting a wild horse ministry in Corn City. If you've never been, it's a free event where a trainer breaks a wild horse, rides it, and talks about the similarities we share with the horse and how we need to submit our lives to Jesus Christ. If you know someone who needs to get saved, bring them to this event. Today, we're going to continue our study on the book of John by talking about how nothing truly gets wasted with God. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, because this message is entitled, Wasted. Does it bother you when things go to waste? If so, did you know that's something you have in common with Judas Iscariot? Ugh, that stings a little bit, doesn't it? Well, today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Mary, the sister of Lazarus, pours out expensive perfume and Judas gets upset about it. Before we go there, however, I just want to mention that if I, I have had much confusion about this passage because of the response that Jesus initially seems to give. It's just so out of character for Jesus. For example, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, he later tells his disciples to collect the remaining scraps of food so that none of it goes to waste. In that passage, he's concerned about things going to waste, yet in this passage, it seems as if it seems as if we get to see a different side of Jesus. Well, let's read John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, and hopefully you'll see what I mean. It says, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those, those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief and he had, money, he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore Jesus said, let her, alone so that they, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that, they, that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Now, I just have one point today, so hopefully keep it short and sweet. Nothing goes to waste with Jesus. Nothing. Jesus in this passage isn't advocating opportunities to be wasteful. He's actually communicating just the opposite. In the last chapter, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And in that story, the Apostle John is careful to draw attention to the response of Lazarus' two sisters, Mary and Martha. They both respond to Jesus by saying, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, this is an emotional moment for everyone involved, but Jesus showed the purpose of their grief by raising Lazarus from the dead, and as a result, many came to faith in him. Mary, who was the more emotional one of the two sisters in that story, is seen in today's passage pouring out an expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. Now, I want to ask you a question, but after I ask it, we need to exercise extreme caution moving forward with this train of thought. My question is, have you ever been so in love that money was no object to you? You know, when I was 16, I started dating a girl and I thought we were going to get married. Long story short, she didn't feel the same way and when I was 18, she broke up with me for another guy. 
And I was so crushed by this that I moved from relationship to relationship, never being able to fall in love with the girls that I dated. I liked them. I just didn't love them. I wasn't in love with them. And I thought something was wrong with me. After six girlfriends in two years, I wondered if I would ever be able to love again. That is, until I met Aaron. Now, I remember it feeling like my heart started beating again. I was suddenly, suddenly able, able, able to remember I told her how you know how this 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 was this was strange to me because um, how I told her about how my high school sweetheart left me for another guy, and and about how I started to feel again with her, and you know she she said something and and I don't know if she if she had said this I wouldn't have been able to allow myself to do this but she said something to me that allowed me to completely throw all caution to the wind and fall madly helplessly hopelessly in love with her. She just looked at me and she said, John. That girl was an idiot. <laughs> After she said that, I'm telling you, just the floodgates just flew open. Ask Aaron sometime about our first Christmas. I can't even remember all the stuff I got her, but let me put it this way. I threw away any plans to get anyone anything else. Anything. I mean, I didn't get them anything. I just got everything for her. She opened presents until she was tired of opening presents, and she told me later on that she even got a little disgusted by how many presents I had bought her. Money was no object for me. Now, I later learned that gift giving is my love language and it's not hers, which is how, gentlemen, I was able to get away with not getting her anything for Mother's Day last month. Yeah, I know, I'm a pretty terrible person. But if you've ever been in love, then it's understandable how a woman could spend an entire year's wages by washing a man's feet. But as I said, we have to exercise extreme caution here not to interject something into Scripture that isn't there. Several attempts have been made to suggest the love that's on display in this passage is romantic. Now, we've even seen in our culture an attempt to merge the identities of this Mary, the Mary, the sister of, of Lazarus, with Mary Magdalene. Now, if you've ever read the book The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown or you've seen the movie, then you've likely been confronted with the question of whether or not Jesus had a girlfriend. He supports this. Uh, uh, Dan Brown supports this by saying that Mary Magdalene is mentioned more times in the Gospels, which is true, than each of the disciples. Thus, there was more love for Mary than there were for the other men. But see, that's, that's, that's interjecting something into Scripture that's not there. There's a lot of questions regarding the identity of Mary Magdalene. Now, again, it, I, I have a lot of Wallerisms, but you don't have to you don't have to accept them. There's just some things that I believe, and it's from reading into Scripture, not, not throwing into Scripture. So, some even say... Mary Magdalene was a former prostitute. However, that's simply not true. In fact, Scripture points to just the opposite. We're told in the Gospels that Mary Magdalene was the woman that Jesus cast out demons from, and she financially supported his ministry as a result. Do you think Jesus would have taken handouts from a prostitute? No. Mary Magdalene was wealthy by legitimate means. There was only one reason why a woman would enter into prostitution in Jesus' day. Poverty. So that the idea that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute is a gross violation of Scripture. But to suggest that Mary Magdalene is the same Mary that's presented in this passage is also a violation. We see a similar story of Jesus having his feet washed by a sinful woman in Luke chapter 7, verses 7 through 39. However, that passage's setting and circumstances were much different than, today, than the passage we read today. Not to mention that the foot of the cross... At the foot of the cross, there were at least three Marys present. Mary, the mother of Jesus. It says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Mary was a very common name in Jesus' day. Mary, 
Lazarus' sister, didn't pour out her perfume on Jesus' feet because she wanted him to be her boyfriend. Listen, she did it because she recognized him as God. Now, Mary tended to Jesus' feet because nobody else wanted to. This wasn't a job of a disciple. Remember, the disciples sat around and constantly argued about who was the greatest. And Jesus hadn't shown them this lesson where he got down and washed their feet yet. But this the foot washing was not the job of a disciple. It was the job of a servant. And not just any servant, the lowest servant. The servant that's lowest on the totem pole. Mary humbly accepted the duty of washing Jesus' feet and used her hair to do it because she recognized him as God. In Jesus' day, showing someone the bottom of your feet, uh, even, in, even in Middle Eastern culture today, showing someone the bottom of your feet is the same as giving them a middle finger in America. It's highly offensive because of how unclean feet could get. You know, we discussed about watching, washing feet in our church before, just to, you know, to repeat this. But let me assure you that your feet don't get as disgusting as Jesus and all of his disciples' feet must have been. Now, the reason why I say this is because you likely wear socks and, and you have running water. You, you wear closed shoes. Never in my life did I come in contact with more disgusting feet than when I was in India. We washed the feet of about 200 people on our last Sunday in India. These people didn't wear socks. Many of them didn't even have shoes. They walked everywhere they went. None of them had pedicures. Many of them had ingrown toenails or some kind of deformities on their feet. All of their feet were calloused and bruised, and some of their feet were cut up from walking on sharp rocks. From the littlest bitty baby to the, to the oldest person, while we were in India, these people looked at us and they treated us as if we were royalty. So we used a foot washing as an opportunity to show them that we are not greater than them, but that we, we were there to serve them. And we must have changed the water 15 times having to walk up and down the stairs with clean water. This was a disgusting yet beautiful opportunity to show love to them and as unbelievers around us you know we, we we did this we had people that were pagan they they didn't believe in jesus they could not understand why we would do such a thing you see the same is true for mary but the difference was is that we didn't wipe them dry with our hair and our in this passage judas iscariot he throws a fit because in his eyes it was a gross display of waste in Matthew and Mark, it's not just Judas who becomes indignant, but all of the disciples. You see, from their standpoint, it doesn't make sense to fragrantly pour out wealth while so many people went hungry. On a side note, I just want to ask you, did your mother ever tell you something like, I can't believe you won't eat your meatloaf when there's starving children in Africa. I can't believe it. Trying to make you feel guilty so you'd eat? And my response to that statement was always, well, give it to them then. I don't want it. <laughs> Nobody likes Judas Iscariot. And I'm not about to suggest that he got a bad rap. He betrayed Jesus, and the Apostle John even tells us that he was stealing from Jesus and the rest of his disciples because he held the purse or the money box. But wasn't what he said right? I mean, isn't it disgusting when we throw around wealth, when there are poor people all around us who could put the money to better use? Well, the real issue is how we define the words poor and poverty. You see, in America, the definition of poverty is a lack of material wealth or goods. People are poor when they don't have stuff. But see, in other places of the world, places of true poverty, it's not because they don't have, 
It's a state of mind. It's their state of hopelessness. Poverty isn't a lack of material goods. It's a mindset. A poverty mindset is the belief that nothing will ever get better and that things are hopeless. Sure, you can anticipate the occasional blessing from on high. Maybe the government gives you a tax return, and as soon as you get it, you spend it because you just don't know when that's ever going to happen again. Your situation isn't going to change, though. Many people who have a poverty mindset don't have material goods, but it's because it makes sense to them that there's no point in trying. Things are hopeless. Do you know my dad's church growing up, there was a couple that owned at least 25 quarter horse ranches. They sold champion thoroughbreds all throughout the world. They lived in a 10,000 square foot home. This place was huge and it was beautiful. They had millions upon millions of dollars. You want to know the irony though? Their grandson, who never wanted for anything, lived with them in their 10,000 square foot home. He had access to an in-ground pool. He could swim anytime he wanted. He had a game room. He had all the stuff that I dreamed about having as a kid. He had all the food he could eat. The kid never wanted, but he had a poverty mindset. Every conversation I ever remember having with the guy radiated hopelessness. He'd say things like, man, things are terrible around here if you only knew. He said, I hate my grandparents. They never let me do what I want to do. You see, his mindset was that of hopelessness. And I'm sad to report that the guy even let his hopelessness lead him to take his own life. Poverty is not a lack of money or material goods. It's a mindset. And I think that's an important lesson that I believe Jesus is pointing to in today's passage. However, that's not the primary lesson. The primary lesson is that with Jesus, nothing goes to waste. Jesus corrects Judas and his disciples by saying, let her alone. She kept this for the day of my burial. For you will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, what Jesus was telling them is it was for this purpose that, Jesus, that Mary saved the perfume. You know, this pound of perfume, she didn't understand why she saved it before. But when the moment came, it made sense to her to make the sacrifice. Now, what I wanted to draw attention to in this passage is this. Sometimes... God leads us to do things that show outrageous acts of devotion to him, and it does not make sense to the world. For example, former pastor here, Brother Bill Davenport, turned down scholarships to play college basketball and go live out the American dream so that he could join the ministry. I know a couple that bought the youth pastors of my parents' church a brand new minivan and left $15,000 inside an envelope in the glove box. And when you think about it, tithing doesn't even make rational sense. Did you know that the first thing Christian financial advisors tell people to help them get out of debt, you know what the the first thing they tell them is? To begin tithing. Why would I give 10% of my income to the church when I need every penny I can get to get out of debt? You see, these things don't make sense to the world. Throw away your future to become a pastor. Why? However, God leads us to do these things so that we can show undying devotion to him and so that he can transform us into the image of Christ. Nothing can be wasted on Jesus because everything is for him. 
Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Did you notice that at the end of today's passage, the, the Sanhedrin, they wanted to kill Lazarus because many people were turning away from their teaching and going to Jesus because of the miracle that was done to Lazarus. They came to see Jesus and Lazarus. They wanted to see this incredible testimony. Lazarus's crime that deserved death was that he was raised from the dead. God worked a miracle in his life and he needed to die for it. You see, the Sadducees taught that there was no resurrection from the dead and Lazarus was a walking contradiction to their teaching. As long as he lived, people walked away from the Jewish leaders and so he had to die. Now, this is the same response to the church today from the world. The world is not favorable to Christians. We are despised and we are hated. And granted, there's a long, ugly history from supposed Christians in power that made people suffer in the name of Christ. However, the world we live in hates the church not because of all of the unforgivable things the church has done, but because we stand up and we speak truth. The world hates the light. The world loves darkness, as Jesus said. The world hates the church for being politically incorrect. We are the ones, though, who were dead, and now we're raised back to life. It doesn't make sense to the world how we could leave behind a lifestyle of pursuing our own pleasure and wealth and fame and all the things that we want. We turn those things over and we instead decide to serve God. It doesn't make sense. One of the greatest gifts that we can give the world is our testimony to tell others what God has done and to show them that there's nothing that we won't give for him in response. John 15, 19, Jesus says, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, though, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Listen, I'm a Christian today because, just like Judas, I hate to see things go to waste. Now, Scripture tells us that Judas wasn't really that concerned. But I hate things going to waste, don't you? Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? We waste our lives when we spend it on anything but pursuing Jesus. The blessing is that Jesus can use our lives no matter how much we messed them up. And he uses it, our lives, to bring God glory. Jesus allowed Mary to pour out the costly perfume on his feet. And he says that it was intended for his burial before he was crucified. In other words, he said, this is for my burial. Let her pour it out. Why did he do that? Why did he allow her to pour out this perfume before he went to the cross? You want to know why? Because he didn't plan on staying and stinking in the grave. Jesus is alive. The perfume wasn't wasted. It was used for a purpose. Anything that's given in devotion to Jesus, even as extravagant or an outra outrageous as it might seem to the world, it never goes to waste. It always has a purpose. So does it bother you to watch things go to waste? 
Is that really true? Or are you making a terrible mistake and wasting your life? Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.